Hi there, my name is Romana and great that you are listening to Philosophy Explained. This podcast is focused on interesting philosophies so you can find a true connection with yourself and the people around you. Are you ready to expand your vision on life and to be inspired? Then let's start. In today's episode, we will be talking about the ego. Eckhart Tolle wrote in A New Earth about the role of the ego in finding long-term happiness. Today, I will summarize this theory. We will talk about what the ego is, the four ways in which it reveals itself, how to recognize the ego, how to break free from it, how it leads to finding long-term happiness, and my personal experience with getting to know my ego. In 2019, I decided to travel solo to Asia. One of the main reasons was that I felt like I lost myself and I needed to find myself again. It was a feeling that was very hard to describe. During that time, I tried to find words in the words of others. What I mean by that is that I looked for someone who could open my mind since I felt stuck. I wanted to be inspired. I looked for a way to make sense of the world. This is how I got to know Eckhart Tolle. I found him on the Super Soul Conversations podcast of Oprah Winfrey. He wrote a book, A New Earth, and in Oprah's podcast, he discusses every chapter separately. I remember that I listened to his podcast when I was hiking in Nepal. Actually, I listened to them over and over again. What he said truly resonated with me. Things started to make sense. In this podcast, I summarize his theory, as I told you before. And I will tell you how identifying the ego leads to finding long-term happiness. So let's first talk about what the ego is. When I first got to know the word ego, I always associated it with people who find themselves awesome. They feel better than others and behave in that way. That's usually not a compliment. Eckhart Tolle's definition is slightly different. He describes the ego as identification with form, which primarily means thought forms. So what does this mean? The ego is focused on building up an identity that stands out from everyone else's. It does so through our minds. The ego prevents us from seeing a situation as it truly is and from finding out who we truly are. We associate ourselves with something we can't control, something that controls us. The ego is always busy with comparing and is never satisfied. It always wants more and better. Maybe you can associate it with living in the hungry ghost realm of the Buddhist philosophy. It refuses to accept things as they are and always takes things personally. The ego reveals itself in four ways. Point one, the ego reveals itself through comparison to the past. When we are lost in our egos, we keep holding on to the past. Our mind keeps going back to the memories of the past and thinks about what we should have done differently. These memories reactivate the emotions we experienced back then. We experience these emotions, such as regret, anger or guilt, over and over again. We are unable to accept the past as it is. Also, we experience the present as good or bad by comparing it to the past. If someone or something gave us joy in the past, we want to experience that same feeling when we are in contact with that thing or person in the present. This is also known as attachment. 
Point two, the ego reveals itself through comparison to the future. Even though there's a clear movement in which people focus more and more on mindfulness and on living in the moment, many of us still focus more on the future than on the present. We see the present as an in-between stage until we accomplish our goals and realize our wishes and desires. But when the future happens, we don't realize that it already is. After all, the future keeps moving to a later time than the time we are in at the moment. A lot of people experience this phenomenon. We wish we would already be on vacation, that it would already be Christmas time, or that the kids would already leave the house. What a lot of people feel during the quarter-life crisis is that they feel like they should already be further in their life. We should already be married, bought a house, or have that dream job. That brings us to other people. Often we feel this pressure because it feels like the people around us already accomplished what we want to have ourselves. Point 3. The ego reveals itself through comparison to other people. The ego takes everything personally, because whatever it is that we consciously express, we identify with, and what we identify with gives us our value. And the more value we have, the more superior our ego feels, and that is what the ego is aiming for. The ego wants to prove that we know better and that we are better. This is why we want to prove other people wrong and get insecure when we feel like other people do better and know more than us. Our ego needs us to prove others wrong to feel better than them. So when we complain about people, gossip about people, or go into discussion with people and feel unable to resist this temptation, then we know our ego won us over. Point four, the ego reveals itself through identification with attributes. To be better, the ego feels like it has to handpick external attributes and call it its possessions. After all, in this world, the more we have in comparison to others, the more proud and successful we feel. Think about all the things you call mine. My house, my phone, my car, my job, my wallet, my partner. Now think about losing any of these things. Now that you caught that thought, what kind of emotion are you feeling? Stress? Anxiety? Anger? Hopelessness? It is the ego. The ego associated itself with these stuff or attributes, and now that it lost it, it goes through a sometimes small identification crisis. It might be the reason that many people feel lost after they lose their job or their house. They saw themselves as people who were stable and had their lives arranged well. Now it doesn't feel like that anymore. They no longer feel successful, independent, or superior. Our ego was created on fear. Why fear? Well, as Eckhart Tolle says, because the ego arises by identification with form, and deep down it knows that no forms are permanent, that they are all fleeting. So there is always a sense of insecurity around the ego even if on the outside it appears confident. So what is the role of the ego in finding long-term happiness then? The ego is always fighting for survival. It always wants to feel superior and often wants things, situations and people to be different than they are. As Eckhart Tolle says, most egos have conflicting wants. 
They want different things at different times or may not even know what they want except for that they don't want what is the present moment. Unease, restlessness, boredom, anxiety, dissatisfaction, they are all the result of unfulfilled wanting. But the ego also wants people to be different than they are. In a room full of people with huge egos, it is only a matter of time until people start arguing. Soonly after the argument starts, you could notice that the argument isn't even about the subject anymore. Rather, you'll notice that it would just be about who is right and who is wrong. It is a battle between egos and there is an urge of winning. When we are not aware of our ego, thus letting it lead us, it will keep us from seeing the world as it truly is. The most important thing about the ego is that it survives. To do that, it has to be active in ego-challenging times. What do I mean by that? As long as we are letting our ego take the lead, we feel the need to compare situations and people to ourselves. We cannot see someone's action just as it is, but we relate it to the consequence it has for our own self. So let me give you an, an example of how the ego operates. Imagine that someone says that you are raising your kid in the wrong way and that it's better to raise him differently. When we are letting our ego take the lead, we immediately think or sometimes even say that the other person is wrong about that. The other has to be wrong for us to be right. We feel irritation, anger and a need to be right because it's our way of raising our kid. Therefore, we see it as part of our identity. We need to maintain our identity for the ego to survive. So we might start a discussion to get validation. Other times we don't say anything. Instead, we apply a way of thinking which makes it easier to move past that moment. We might tell ourselves that he or she doesn't know anything about raising a kid or that he or she doesn't know the reason behind it while I am actually aware of it. Another well-known tendency is to seek validation from others. We talk to our friends about what the other person said and we want to hear from our friend that we were right and that the other person was wrong. While in fact, if another person disagrees with our ways, this doesn't automatically mean that we have to convince that person that he or she is wrong about it. That person is sharing his or her perspective. He or she is labeling our methods as wrong, but that doesn't mean that we need to take it personally. The other person doesn't have to be wrong for us to stand behind our own strategy. Stop labeling things and people as right and wrong, or as good as bad, or as hero or villain. There's no need. Now that we know that we should disidentify ourselves from our ego in order to find long-term happiness, let's talk about how we could recognize our ego. Okay, so you only feel fulfilled for a limited time. Uh, an example. You looked very much forward to buying the television, but now that you have it and enjoyed it for a while, it's just normal. Now you look very much forward to buying a surround system. Ego. Um, another one. You build expectations based on the past. Usually you have clear roles, as an example. You buy IKEA furniture, your partner puts it together. This time your partner says no. So we start thinking, what do you mean no? You always do it. Instantly you feel frustrated. 
ego. Okay, another one. You're always focused on the future. Imagine being very excited to lay on the beach. But now that you're there, you are already thinking about your exciting plans for tonight. Ego. Um, another one. You overthink what happened to you. Imagine that you have been robbed. Someone broke into your house. You start thinking things like, how dare he? I can't believe someone had the nerve to do that. You have a difficult time perceiving the difference between the situation and your interpretation and reaction towards that situation. So as an example, you are packing for your city trip to Italy. You are checking the weather forecast and it says 18 degrees and cloudy. You start thinking, damn it, I should have picked another date. I'm so unlucky. But your friend on the other side is pretty glad. She says, I don't want to wander around in the heat. I'd rather have a regular temperature. As long as it's dry, it's fine. So it really depends on the way you look at the weather. It isn't, the weather isn't that bad. It's just the way you look at it that makes you feel negative towards it. One last example and characteristic. Um, you take things personally. Um, let's say you just proudly bought a house, but your mother, when you tell her, responds in a negative way. She says it would have been better to buy one next year. You instantly feel the need to defend yourself, or your ego actually. However, you should realize that it's not personal that she's saying that. She doesn't say that you are stupid or dumb or... It, it doesn't have to be that personal. She just has a different opinion. Don't take it too personal. Just a different opinion. That's all. Okay, this part I really like. How to break free from the ego. The ego stays alive as long as we are not aware of its presence. Therefore, the antidote is hidden in the now. This means that it's not as difficult as you might think to break out of the ego-driven mindset. There's no need for a plan or anything like that. All we need is our mind. When we recognize our ego, we no longer identify with it. Rather, we realize that we are actually the awareness behind it. When we recognize the characteristics of our ego, we can look out for them. And then, when we recognize that it is the ego that is feeling or talking or taking over in any way, we label it for ourselves. This is my ego. And then it dissolves. The ego cannot survive presence because it is always focused on other moments. You can only want more or different when you are fighting against the current situation. You are using the past for your identification and the future for your satisfaction. And when you aren't content, you fight against it. In other words, we don't accept things as they are. We don't accept the now. As Eckhart Tolle says, whatever you fight, you strengthen, and whatever you resist, persists. Do you wonder how breaking free from the ego leads to finding long-term happiness? Well, when we give in to complete awareness, we are closer to being able to be who we truly are. So what's next? The thing is, 
as soon as we try to find the words for who we are, we are labeling. I am a woman. Uh, my name is Romana. This is my job. This is my role in the family. These are my values. But that is not all. As a matter of fact, no words can completely cover who we are. We don't have the vocabulary for that. Don't limit yourself by putting yourself in a box. To find out who you truly are, we need to feel. And now that you are able to recognize your ego, you can find out which feelings are coming from the ego instead of from you. I personally believe that who we are is the consistent factor behind all the things that are conditioned and vary from time to time. I also think that that is why meditation is such a good thing to do. It's because you create an inner space and start to feel more. When you've been meditating for a while, you also feel like you are more connected to yourself and the world around you. And you just get closer to what you are actually feeling towards different situations and people. And it makes you get to know yourself in a totally different way. What Eckhart Tolle taught me is that we shouldn't fight against what is. It costs us an unnecessary amount of energy and time and it keeps us trapped in a mindset in which we can never find long-term happiness. I tried for a while to completely live as I learned from Eckhart Tolle. Meanwhile, I noticed something interesting. If we accept everything as it is and everyone as they are, we turn more flat. I didn't like that about myself. I found out that in order to feel positive feelings, we also need to allow negative feelings sometimes. After all, there are moments in which we do go through rough times and it's okay to feel sad sometimes. Still, this can be united with Eckhart's theory. When we are aware of the ego, we are more aware of what is happening to our minds. Because of that, we feel more in control over how we express our feelings. We start to see why our mind is fighting against situations. Instead of automatically trying to change situations and people to meet your wants and needs, we can make a conscious choice to see the situation as it is, and from there consider what our best way is to deal with that situation. Being able to identify your ego gives us so much more freedom. As soon as you would realize that, you can be much more relaxed about life. Realizing the role of the ego in your day-to-day -day life gives you the ability to choose the way you live your life much more consciously. And this opens the way to finding long-term happiness. So what do you think about Eckhart Tolle's theory? Do you feel like awareness is key to finding long-term happiness? How do you find your happiness? I hope this episode challenged your mind, and I'd love to hear what you think about this philosophy. If you'd like to, you can visit my website, www.thetrueconnection.com. Here you find many more articles and podcast episodes focused on self-development. Did you like this episode? Don't forget to follow this podcast. Thank you for listening to Philosophy Explained and hopefully until next time.